Welcome to Deckert's Committed Capital, where PE leaders open their playbooks to discuss today's PE trends. Hello, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Mikhail Shibakazi, and I'm a partner in Deckert's Financial Services Group based in London. In this episode of Committed Capital, we are going to be talking about the challenges and opportunities arising out of ESG developments in the asset management space. I am joined today by Andrea Constantinescu, partner at Planet First Partners, and Gary Von Smith, Chief Investment Officer of Silver Street Capital. Andrea, could you just give us a couple words about yourself? A pleasure to be part of the podcast, Mikhail. Um, just maybe a few words on Planet First. We're a growth equity um, platform. Uh, we are evergreen and we're looking to invest in uh, two big themes, better for the planet and better for the people. I am the partner um, heading the better for the planet side uh, with the key verticals of energy transition, Industry 4.0, Green Cities, and AgTech. Um, we are based in London and looking to make investments in European and Israel headquartered businesses or businesses headquartered elsewhere that want to um, have a substantial presence in Europe. Thank you. We're really glad to have you here. Gary? Thanks, Mika. I'm Gary Vaughan Smith, Chief Investment Officer of Silver Street Capital. We were founded in 2007. And we are impact investors into the African agricultural sector. So we're in the real assets bucket for institutional investors. Um, we have a track record of implementing investments with, with the high ESG standards and uh, positive social impact. Great. Thank you. So I really want to kick it off by talking a little bit about ESG investing, um, because I don't think all of our listeners are necessarily familiar with it. And maybe, Gary, if I address this question to you, you know, we hear a lot about ESG investing and impact investing. Can you explain briefly the difference between those two ideas? No problem. So ESG investing is about almost the minimum standards of operation in a portfolio company. So what are the basic levels of environmental controls, for example, that should be in place over a governance and then also the social side interaction with communities? So what are the main things that should be in place? And it's almost sets a minimum standard. Normally your ESG guidelines would exclude certain sectors, let's call it tobacco, um, but most of it is, is concerning health and safety, contracts for employees, obviously no child labor, things like that, and the way chemicals are stored or controls like that. So it's your minimum standard. Impact investing is when you have two goals in your, your main objective. The first is to make an attractive return for your investors, and the second is to create a positive impact, could be climate or uh, social environmental impact through your investment activities. So obviously this is a really hot topic right now. You read about it in the news every day. Um, it's in all, all the um, commentaries that are going on in the industry. Andrea, what makes the focus on ESG investing or impact investing so important at this point in time? From where we stand, uh, Mikhail, I, I think it's the interaction of three generational megatrends that make sustainability investable at scale and at or above market returns. And those three generational megatrends are tech maturity, um, societal demand, and, and resource scarcity. Um, so it's basically, we're in the moment where technology is moving from proof of concept to industrial scale across a, a broad 
uh, range of, of topics from computing power to remote sensing to material science to biotechnologies. Um, and that is, is a, a, a powerful shift from that proof of concept to wider adoption by society. Um, then we have societal demand um, on the other side as expressed by um, the regulatory aspects, the consumer demand for more sustainable products um, and services and commercial demand um, from large corporates that are putting in place very ambitious targets with regards to their own sustainability, creating a, a very strong sort of uplift for businesses that are advancing solutions um, that can ultimately support uh, these much larger multinational companies to reach those goals. And lastly, it's the aspect of resource scarcity and um, the growing population that is driving demand for greater efficiency. Um, so the interaction of these three trends make for this theme to be investable um, through a, um, a variety of different asset classes um, at scale and at market returns, uh, which we believe was not there maybe, say, 10 years ago or, or in the past in, in the same way it is today. And, and this interaction expresses itself differently in different you know, verticals of the economy. Right, right. And Gary, is this being driven by investor demand? Um, how important is the, the investor in the decision to go down the ESG path here? Um, it's very important um, for investors to invest into the sector in emerging markets, to invest into the agriculture sector, for example. High ESG standards is, is extremely important. Our investors are almost all institutional investors, pension funds, foundations, and endowments. Most of them are based in, in Europe or the US. Um, it's very important that they can rely on a certain minimum standards in terms of how the portfolio companies are governed and managed on the environmental side, on climate, and so on. Additionally, it has a very helpful benefit to fundraising for, for a number of reasons. Number one, we can get political risk insurance from the World Bank or from the US government if we operate with high ESG standards. This will give our investors 90% of their capital back, for example, if a business was expropriated or we can't take our money out of that country. And that's very helpful for institutional investors going to their committees that underwrites that political risk. It also allows us to get access to low-cost debt funding. For example, from we have uh, over $100 million of debt funding from DFC, the U.S. government, and this is because we're able to show high ESG standards uh, and a positive impact. And then there are certain investors looking to seek high ESG and, and impact investments, and this is, this is basically a, you, you can't raise money without them. So from our perspective, we don't see it as a marketing thing. It's right from, you know, from when we started our business, we were always wanting to run things with a high ESG standard. And, um, but now I think it's become increasingly important for investors. So just following up on that for a moment, as you say, you've been doing this for a while. Um, has the conversation with investors changed over time, Gary? Um, is it different now than it was 10, 15 years ago? Yes, I think I think it has changed. Um, the investors of sort of 10, 15 years ago, they were concerned on, on a number of ESG type factors, but now they're more sophisticated at it. So they are looking at, they have, some have their own ESG codes. Um, some will rely on IFC performance standards as an example, which is pretty good um, standard to follow or the, or the UK government CDC standard, which is also a really good one that we also adopt. 
Um, they're definitely much more focused on it now. And investors understand as well that if they want to sell a, a business in emerging markets, if that business is higher ESG standards, it naturally is easier to sell. It becomes a scarcity. It's one of the few that have those high ESG standards, and it will very likely command a premium. So it lowers risk. It raises return. It gives you access to cheaper financing and to political risk insurance. It has a number of benefits going down this road. Great. So on that sort of theme of looking at the underlying investment, Andrea, um, how do you control for ESG factors at the portfolio level when you're making your investment decisions and, and you know, during the life of the investment? Yeah, so at, at Planet First, uh, we will have a relatively concentrated portfolio, um, let's say 8 to 10 plus minus investments or so at, at any given time. Um, so from a portfolio level and an ESG factor, we try to make sure that we, uh, firstly, that we get the most impact for each euro invested. We also want to make sure that we are not overexposed to one single area of impact. Um, this would have potentially undesirable effects from both a risk perspective, um, so we're seeking for higher diversification, but we're also trying to balance potential crowding in certain areas of impact. Uh, and as a, as a result of our desire to contribute to a broader landscape of, of impact topics, put capital to work in areas that might be unduly underserved, and also, we think that from a returns perspective, looking in areas where there is less competition should drive better returns. Um, so from that perspective, we, we yeah, those are the considerations that are guiding our, our principles at a portfolio level. Thank you. And, and Gary, does your, your approach, is it similar or is it a little bit different given your specialty in, in, in Africa and agriculture? There are a number of similarities. We do tend to source our deals ourselves on the ground. So we don't really work with intermediaries, investment banks, and so on. It requires an on-the-ground knowledge in each country uh, in southern East Africa where we operate. And we, we do it to a certain extent from the top down. We're looking at each country, firstly analyzing risk before we even go into the country. But then secondly, what are the opportunities in the agricultural space that are stand out in those countries so certain combination of geography and climate means that certain crops might do well and therefore which part of the value chain would one invest in processing on the inputs and so on um, and once we've determined that we are proactively sourcing the investments ourselves and everything we do is growth oriented so we we're finding the the platform to start from and then to build on it by investing and helping that business grow Andrea, based on what you said earlier, it would seem like everybody should be in this space, right? It's time has come. It's a great asset class in and of itself in terms of return. And on top of it, you're doing something good from a value um, perspective. What is the challenge? Because clearly there are reasons, um, you know, managers aren't entering this space. What's really the challenge of operating in it? I would say that there are a variety of, of challenges with um, specifically tied to the impact side of it and then specifically tied to the value creation side of it. And so if I were to start with the first one, the impact side, um, one of the issues that we faced and, and previously, at least, to the EU, EU sustainable taxonomy, uh, there was a lack of standardized impact frameworks uh, with clear thresholds for us to really pin ourselves um, against 
and so that I think that was really holding back the development of of uh, these themes in, in investment because everybody could bring their own value set to the table, if you will. And so that is now very clearly defined by the EU sustainability taxonomy, and and we see that as a watershed moment, I would say. We still struggle uh, with the fact that on the social impact side of things, there are no clear thresholds, but we hope that um, the EU sustainable taxonomy will be expanded in that area in the future. And secondly, I I would say it's lack of data. Many of the companies we're looking to invest in um, have impacted the core of their value creation, um, but do not have the data to demonstrate their positive contribution. Um, So, you know, in in certain areas we're creating as part of the due diligence process, the first set of impact KPIs, let's say, and and developing that more robust scientific approach to, to to assessing and measuring impact. On the more investment side of the house, I would say that a lot of the technologies that are most transformational are nascent. It really takes quite a lot of uh, discerning to really choose where to put capital to work in opportunities that are mature enough to to be scalable, uh, given that we are a growth equity player. Uh, but but we see this as as a, as a theme evolving over the next you know five to ten years, um, and this is just the beginning. And and there's definitely plenty of pipeline we have in the works. But historically, I think it was a little bit of a bottleneck, if you will. Okay, and and Gary, is your take on it the same, or have you, given the number of years you've been doing this, found that it's it's changed over time? Definitely a huge overlap with Andrea in, in just in terms of measuring impact um, and mo- measuring and monitoring. We report annually on our impact and we have developed a set of metrics. A lot of ours are related to social impact. It's increasing incomes of smallholder farmers and uh, quantifying that. I, my background is I'm an actuary and I'm not a farmer from the agricultural sector. And it's important for us to to quantify and be able to estimate the impact from each investment. And then certain investments are better than others in terms of impact. We've got to know where we can create the most impact. So absolutely, there's an overlap. Also executing ESG on the ground, implementing these standards, the IFC performance standards, the World Bank standards, CDC, UK government standards, UN Global Compact. It has to be holistically done. So you, we need to adopt the codes. A portfolio company, once you've invested, should adopt the codes. You need to do due diligence prior to investing in the company so you have an ESG due diligence. You know what your action points are post-investment. And once the company has adopted it, then to implement it and follow up on those actions. And then we do an annual audit, which is independent ESG audit, and uh, to measure how we're we doing on each portfolio company against those ESG standards. And then we're very transparent with our investors. We show those annual audits to all of our investors uh, every year. It's a 50-page document per portfolio company. And a number of our investors have specialist ESG people who will read those and then follow up with us on the ground. So those those are all, you know, challenges that, that one has to rise to to do things properly um, if you're going to manage things with an ESG um, platform. And the final thing is the other challenge is simply implementing on the ground executing deals and expansion plans. It's always going to be a challenge in emerging markets. And the key there is is to have the right people doing that and executing skill set and high ethical standards. 
So, Andrea, I think you mentioned briefly the, the EU regulatory regime, which has come into play recently, and the taxonomy and the sustainable finance disclosure regulations. Um, and maybe I'll, I'll ask Gary very briefly, do you have any you know, thoughts on, on this new regulatory regime? Obviously, you were operating outside of it um, for, for many, many years, but do you think it, it's bringing anything to, to the industry? Is it, is it helpful? Is it, it harmful? Um, we, we see it as a huge positive. We've been measuring and monitoring compliance with ESG standards since we started. So we've got over 10 years experience of doing that. And as I described, it's very detailed on the ground monitoring of, of a number of actions against a number of ESG codes. And so for us, having a um, standard like this where we could report on it is not a trivial step, but it's a relatively straightforward step for us to add to all of our other reporting. And at the same time, it creates a, a certain basic minimum framework for assessing sustainability of funds. As you know, there's Article 6, Article 8, and Article 9 funds. Article 9 is the highest level of sustainability, dark green, so-called the dark green funds. So our funds are all dark green. Um, but it's, it's quite difficult to get to that standard. It's like, it, to do it properly at the portfolio company level is, is difficult, but we think it's important. We, we're hearing investors in Europe asking which are the Article 8 and 9 funds out there, and there aren't many at the moment. And there'll be more over time. I think it's an important uh, – I agree with Andrea, it's a, it's a watershed, especially in Europe. The, the institutional investors are taking this very seriously. And this will become important for them. It is already, but it, it will become more and more important. Maybe to follow up on that, uh, we're, we're also uh, one of those uh, dark green funds, Gary, and good company here, uh, and, and very proud to do so. And it's it's not uh, trivial, and it's definitely not little work to, to get there. Um, and I think it's just a big step in the right direction, because ultimately what we plan to do is not to have a discussion with underlying companies around, you know, let us monitor and, and implement, but let us augment or, or mitigate where there might be potential negative. And so if we are in a position to have the data uh, and we can just move that narrative to a place that's a lot more productive for everybody in the game. And I think uh, all of this regulation working together are not only imposing these new taxonomy on the funds, but also in a way to underlying operating companies. Um, so I think, that will uh, slowly be phased in as well. But I think in, you know, five years from now, we'll be operating in a, in a much more data-driven environment, and that will be beneficial for all players that are really looking to, to advance a sustainability agenda. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's, it's made quite an impact on the industry and managers who have never really thought about their, you know, their approach to greenness, shall we say, are reevaluating that in a way that they wouldn't have done two or three years ago and, you know, may not have done without the regulatory developments coming into play. Um, it's given the industry an opportunity to sit down and think about it. A little bit more and within a, a defined framework, even though that defined framework raises its own set of challenges. So that's where we are now. Clearly, Europe is, you know, leading the charge from a regulatory perspective. And some might say it's, it's always been a little bit more focused on the impact nature of investing than other markets. But that's where we are now. Where do you think we, we might be going in the future? What, what do you think might be the future trends? Um, do you think there's going to be any impact, say, from the change of, of administration 
um, in the United States in terms of, of how that will affect the industry of, as a whole. Um, I don't know whether there are any green shoots in, in Asia. Um, Gary, any thoughts about where we might be going? Um, no doubt in my mind, there's a huge demographic shift going on as the next 20 years as capital passes from the baby boomers to the people who, let's call it, are under age 40 at the moment, just to lump everyone in that category together. The younger part of the population are very much more interested in the impact that their investments are making to avoid negative impacts and to try and create positive impacts. And that will only continue. And if in the investment management industry, if you're not going to take account of that, then your market share will get whittled away over time in the next 10 years. Attached to that is that there are definite inflection points going on as we, they're all well known inflection points going on in the world where people are moving from one place to another, from an unsustainable to a sustainable position. The obvious one is in vehicles, but also power generation, um, moving to more sustainable, greener sources of power. There are a number of those trends going on. And unless one takes account of that properly uh, in the investment process, you're definitely going to lag behind if you take a 20-year view. And I think Biden is reinforcing these trends um, in, a, in a very large way, in a number of ways. Obviously, his focus on climate, um, there's a huge budget being allocated, as we know, to the infrastructure that's needed for electric cars, for example, in, in his spending. So um, I think Biden will be a big catalyst as well. Yes, and I, I agree with everything Gary has said. I think the United States moving on that sustainability agenda is definitely going to bring more LPs uh, into the mix of, of thematic investment and, and impact for sure. Um, I think it's going to create more demand for startups to provide services and advanced technologies in this area. So it can only be positive, I would say, especially given the, the previous um, stance of the uh, previous uh, administration. I, I would say that with regards to the rest of the world, I, I don't think we should just focus on Europe and the US. We see quite positive developments and the early signs of multinational, let's say, alignment around standards coming from many of the geographies in Asia. Countries like Malaysia, like Singapore, um, are, are putting in place their own versions of those sustainability um, regulations with regards to both uh, operating companies and also their, the financial um, system. So we're definitely seeing a lot of really exciting development globally and also um, a shift towards aligning those frameworks uh, to make it easy for companies and, and uh, financial players to operate across geographies. So that's all very encouraging. So it sounds like we're, we're living in a world now that is going to be slowly moving into this environmental and social um, conscious space in terms of its asset management activities, just by um, way of necessity, um, if not driven by by regulatory mandate, which which is also playing a part. So it's very exciting because it, it, it indicates a change in, in the overall approach to asset management that you know, really probably hasn't happened in the industry for, for more than a generation. So I want to thank um, Gary and Andrea for being with us and sharing their thoughts in this area um, based on their, their years of experience and their, their current activities in, in continuing to build this space. Thank you both. Thanks, thank Mikhail. you. 
For more information or to listen to previous Committed Capital episodes, visit us on Deckert.com and remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you can listen to our next episode covering secondaries. <laughs>